This is Capital and Scott. I'm Laura Farrar. Duck season is well underway now in the Arkansas Delta. It kicked off with the annual Wings Over Prairie Festival last week in Stuttgart, also known as the duck hunting capital of the world. Thousands of hunters descended upon the town to eat duck gumbo, buy duck hunting gear, and watch world champion duck calling competitions. It's well known. Uh, we've been doing it for 87 years, longest running festival in the state, um, and it's the longest running festival we believe in the South uh, United States. That's Bill Free, a local hunting guide. He's also been the chairman of the Wings Over Prairie Festival for about two decades. I made the trip down to Stuttgart last weekend to talk to him about growing concerns that changes with wetland habitats that attract the birds every winter may mean ducks eventually fly somewhere else, which could have a big impact on an industry that generates millions of dollars in only a few weeks. During duck season alone, they've indicated that, that it's a million dollars a day turns over. And, and, and when, you say, when I say that, you got to think about the gas, the food, the lodging, the employees, the, you know, a little bit of everything. So uh, it, it's a lot of money that turns over in this town during duck season. If the season stays good and there's ducks in the area and, and waterfowl in the area, you, you have people coming in. There'll be anywhere from gosh, 15 to 35, 40, 50 airplanes out there at the airport uh, that are either coming in to drop off their hunters and or staying or they're just dropping them off and, and flying back and coming back in a couple of days to pick them up. My understanding is that there's been some issues happening with, I guess, some of the conservation efforts with the wetlands mm -hmm. out here in the Delta area, mm -hmm. which is raising some concerns about whether or not there's going to be the waterfowl population that you all have had right. in the past. What, what is your understanding of, of the issues? What, what you've heard, uh, we still have the rice fields and we still have the farmland and we still have that. But what we're known for is the green tree reservoirs, green tree timber and, and hunting in the, in the timber. Scientists and the biologists and the, the, those guys have determined that, unbeknownst to, to a lot of people, that they've kept the water on the trees too, too long. But uh, someone described it the other day as the area has become, it's almost like, uh, I hate to use this analogy, but a, a toilet bowl. And you have the, the cities that are all around us, the Little Rocks and Jacksonville, Arkansas and Little Rock and Pine Bluff and all. And so the runoff comes down. Well, the toilet bowl can just hold so much water and it doesn't drain off as fast as it used to. So what has happened is water has stayed on trees for too long, which they're not used to, and it's starting to kill those trees and or make those trees not produce acorns and, and um, food for ducks. Biomita, as you know, is a prime hunting area. Lots of people come in from all over the United States to hunt in Biomita. 
and and Biomeda is getting is had lots of effect of flooding hmm. and and the water not getting off of it or you know at quick enough uh, time frame. Spring rains are hurting us as much as anything. Uh, they're hurt, could be hurting us as much as the the rains during the winter because you get the spring rains and it just stays on there for extra. You just got the water off from from duck season and now you got a spring rain and it's right back on there. So. Instead of having water on the trees for two and a half months, you're having it on there for six months in some cases, right. and it's just too long. So at this point, is it noticeable though? I mean, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So what? what are, you, yeah. You can go out there and you can look at a healthy tree, and you look at a at a tree that's not so healthy, and you, and you can tell the difference. Uh, also, you see a lot of trees that have rotted and fallen over and just died. And so it, it's very noticeable and it's getting more noticeable every year. Would you say the duck populations are being impacted? You, you always hear about the bad. The, the, the folks who complain and, and, and folks who say, I don't have any ducks or I don't have any ducks on my place or this. Well, some of that is, is their fault. Some of it is Mother Nature's fault. And, and some of it is the fact that, that, yes, the duck numbers are down some. But you also got to realize that just because you have a rice field or just because you have a set of woods that that you bought, I'm going to use that as an example, doesn't mean you're going to have ducks on it. Ducks uh, have have been coming to the area for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we've determined, or the scientists have determined, that they come back to the areas where there where there there's food. And less pressure. So, let's use this as an example. If said person buys 50 acres of a rice field and he hunts it every day as hard as he can and shoots all day long every day, that duck's gonna know I'm not going there. I'm gonna go down here where it's quieter, easier, and and I'm gonna sit right there because it's it's a lot easier on me. I'm not over here getting shot at. So, hunting pressure is is some of the problem. Um, duck numbers is some of the problem. But even the the fields themselves or the woods themselves, they may not have any food on there. You, you gotta have a, a duck has to eat just like we do every day. Why would I want to go in, uh, to a restaurant that's out of food just like a duck? Why would I want to go to a field that's out of food? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Luke Naylor, head of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission's Wildlife Management Division, will join me to talk about efforts to save the wetlands in the Arkansas Delta. Hi, this is Laura Farrar. The stories we dive into on Capitol and Scott are just a fraction of the reporting the Democrat Gazette brings to readers every day. If you'd like to support our commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras like this podcast, all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe.
Welcome back to Capital and Scott. I'm Laura Farrar. Joining me on the phone now is Luke Naylor with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to talk about ongoing efforts to save bottomland hardwood forest in the Arkansas Delta. Thanks for joining me today, uh, especially while you're up in Kansas deer hunting. So I was just out in Stuttgart last week for this big duck hunting festival and spoke with some people who are, are hunters out there. Apparently, there's been some ongoing issues with management of this habitat where waterfowl migrate annually. Can you just talk a little bit about what some of the issues have been out in the Delta with this this land? Sure. Yeah. Uh, historically, you know, many, many hundreds of years ago, uh, most of the Delta, we, we were pretty confident was forested wetlands of some kind, uh, over 20 million acres worth. And, you know, that attracted lots of different wildlife and, and particularly ducks in the winter when a lot of those different bottom and hardwood forest habitats flooded overbank flooding before any kind of levee systems or any kind of artificial management. You know, we would have overbank flooding waterfowl were attracted to these areas, particularly mallards and wood ducks. And they're, they've really adapted heavily to use these habitats during winter. So, you know, as, as folks, uh, you know, people, settlers arrive on the scene, uh, start in the 1800s, start thinking about agriculture, you know, a little bit, a little bit later, actually, development as far as clearing habitat and uh, habitat conversion here, as opposed to, say, the Great Plains and some areas that are a little bit a little bit easier to, to convert to agriculture. As folks did that here in the Delta, they, they kind of became aware of this dwindling habitat base of these bottom and hardwood forests and realized that ducks use those when they flooded. And then kind of along the same timeline, folks were experimenting with growing rice or, or getting good at growing rice in the Delta. And we're using reservoirs to, to building reservoirs to hold water to irrigate rice crops during the summer. So a lot, some of the first reservoirs, they actually just levied up har, uh, hardwood forests. That is really where the term green tree reservoir was born. They think it's a farmer by the name of Tyndall, somewhere over by Stuttgart, built one of these reservoirs. And, you know, immediately, as the story goes, the reaction by waterfowl was was quick. Um, they love these habits, this, this kind of new, reliable habitat. And the, then the idea of artificially managing bottom and hardwood forests for waterfowl and waterfowl hunting originated. So we're, you know, approaching 100 years, uh, kind of that first introduction to green tree reservoirs or GTRs, I'll refer to them as. And really over the next several decades, uh, private landowners and public agencies like Arkansas Game and Fish Commission alike started constructing these green tree reservoirs to provide more reliable flooding of these forested wetlands. And these areas essentially, just, just real simply, they're, they're levied. They have some sort of levee, uh, levee system, water control structures, something that artificially impounds water in those forests more frequently than it would from just natural overbank flooding. Sure. So yeah, now after about you know, decades of doing this, we have a situation where we realize that that type of reliable, predictable flooding is really not what these forests are adapted to, and it's not what they can sustain. So several years on now from, from lots of folks doing what they were pretty sure was, was a good thing for waterfowl and waterfowl hunters in the 1960s and 70s and even into the 80s, uh, we realize now that that, that kind of artificial flooding, that, that severely altered hydrology has had a major impact on the forest communities in these areas. 
and we're seeing a lot of mortality, uh, particularly in red oaks in these forests. And red oaks produce acorns that are digestible. They're basically they they're small enough to be consumed by by ducks. They're also less water tolerant. So the more water we put on the system for decades and decades and decades, the more these red oaks have been damaged, the more we think that the food resources for waterfowl has dwindled and we kind of arrive at the place we are now um, where we've kind of kind of got a pretty big issue on our hands with a lot of these habitat types in a deteriorated state. And uh, we're trying to do what we can to, to turn that back around. So initially, the green tree reservoirs were sort of a farming technique to have reservoirs of water. But then the people who were constructing them noticed that the ducks were also loving them at the same time. So am I correct in understanding you that actually more were built because it was just kind of a boon for the hunting industry to have this type of uh, habitat there? And so initially, it seemed like a great idea for, I I, I would guess, the hunting industry in this part of Arkansas. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, I think it was also maybe maybe a little more altruistic than that to begin with. I really think that as people saw um, dwindling habitats, forests were being cleared through the 40s, 50s, and 60s in the Delta. A lot of habitat conversion happening. I think a lot of folks really did see that, wow, th- these forests are disappearing and ducks like these forests when they flood. So, you know, agencies like Arkansas Game and Fish went and started purchasing these remaining tracts of autumn and hardwood forest that a lot of private landowners also protected these areas. And they really were trying to set set aside this type of habitat and provide reliable habitat for ducks. Yeah, lots of different hunting opportunity, lots of industry came on board, uh, you know, as a beneficiary of that. But if you go back and kind of read some of the early uh, scientific studies and some of the early documentation about GTRs, I do think people really did have habitat protection and habitat provision for waterfowl in mind at the beginning. They actually they actually really thought and they and they, these folks weren't you know uninformed or unwilling to pay attention. They just really thought, hey, we flood these areas, ducks arrive. Yeah, sure, we like to hunt them too, but it takes a lot of time to figure out to really identify the negative impacts of that. So, you know, folks weren't purposely going out and do this, obviously, with the, with the end goal of damaging habitat. They were doing it to provide habitat and, and kind of protect these remaining forests and really add, add cultural value to those forests, right? By having them available for, for hunting, it adds value to them. Right, absolutely. I mean, you know, we all know, I'm familiar with the search for the ivory-billed woodpecker in particular, and, you know, the bottomland hardwood forests were such vital habitats for for that bird as well. So um, I know there's been efforts to kind of reconstruct some of that habitat to potentially find, you know, that that species in particular, so that there there has been effort in the Delta with this habitat. My understanding is, though, if when nature takes its course, it typically floods fall and winter or right around the time these birds are coming to the south. But now it's full of water more or less year round because of the way in which the levees have been built or something else contributing to even more flooding. Like, I don't know if climate change is a factor or infrastructure in other parts of the state that is changing watersheds that's leading to more water flowing into these green tree reservoirs. Has something changed that's added more water to this ecosystem? Yes, all of those things. <laughs> it's all we think they've all been playing a role. And and so, yeah, our infrastructure was uh, we kind of a, we've been doing paying a lot of attention to this issue, of course, over the last uh, decade, really 
And we, we, it's become really clear that it's extremely easy to build, relatively speaking, it's, it's easy to build infrastructure to hold water back in these areas. And that's what most people have done for many, many decades. What's much harder to do is move sufficient amounts of water through these systems when the water needs to move through those systems. So most of our infrastructure on both public and private land and GTRs, to, I mean, put it really bluntly, was put to, like, when water was running out somewhere during duck season, we put a plug in it. We plug that up because we want reliable water during duck season. And that may be all well and good during late December and January when we're pretty confident you can flood these habitats with minimal damage. Yeah, you need to vary among years. But, but generally speaking, flooding in, in from you know, mid-December through January and, and February is not detrimental to these trees based on what we know now. But that same infrastructure is in place outside those time periods, right? So now, as we get into an era in particular, which we're seeing... Yeah, there, there have been drastic changes. It's really not debatable that there's these major changes in, in rain system, storm systems throughout the spring. And we're not getting, you know, a two inch rain every few weeks, every week or 10 days. We're getting six to eight inch rains, right, that, that dump water quickly. And most of the GTRs were built downstream of pretty much everything else. Most of these GTRs were built in the lowest of the low areas. And so all that extra water coming off and, and most people upstream are not trying to, you know, change the landscape to hold more water back during floods. They're trying to move it off their land quicker. And so we typically end up being downstream of that. So what we're dealing with now is a total kind of change paradigm shift in how we install and manage infrastructure on these areas. I mean, our, we're building infrastructure now to accommodate all of that spring water. And really, we're, we're not forgetting about habitat for ducks and duck hunters in the winter, not at all. But we're realizing that that's really not all that complicated. You can build stuff in there to hold water back pretty easily. Uh, what we're doing is engineering solutions that have move a massive amount of water during the spring and summer because we are seeing more water, because pe more water does appear to be running off the landscape quicker. And most of that's coming downstream to us. So I don't know. I mean, I know that um, out around the Stuttgart area is uh, a place called Bayou Meto. Uh, Meta. Ba Meta. You got to redneck it up. Uh, Bio Meta. M-E-E-D-A. Bio Meta. I'm understanding that this is a fairly popular place to go duck hunting, um, but that people or hunters are saying they've noticed some changes there or some of the trees are dying there because of what's happened with this this constant flooding. I don't know if you could use that as a specific example of how Game and Fish is approaching the management of this area differently to try to resurrect the situation that was created decades ago there. Yeah, absolutely. Biomeda is really one of the flagship WMAs. It's one of the first WMAs we purchased uh, as an agency and one of the our largest conglomeration of, of managed GTRs. And, you know, somebody can challenge me, I guess, but I would say it's the most popular WMA in the world. And I, I, 
I'd be interested to see data to prove me wrong. Uh, so it's got lots of people coming to hunt it, um, extremely popular core area um, for a phenomenal waterfowl landscape. And yeah, that area has had several pressures on it. We've had a lot of infrastructure installed over the years, like I mentioned, spring floods, are a major issue have been for a while but even more so recently uh, we've got issues with moving that water downstream below our borders we're working through all those things spring flooding is a big deal um, i always want to make sure we remind folks that that we have a 40-year history plus of closing water control structures and attempting to artificially flood these areas as early as September for many, many, many years. And in most cases, almost all cases, at least by October, that is long before any tree is dormant and any red oak can sustain flooding, long before. So spring flooding is a major issue, absolutely. But but fall, early fall flooding is an equally great issue. And I always wanna remind people of that because we have taken action to control what we can control in the short term, which is when we flood in the fall. So back in 2017, we made the decision to not begin artificially holding water back on any GTR across the state earlier than November 15th annually. And that's a month to a month and a half later than most of these areas have experienced for 40 or 50 years. It's a drastic change. And that was intended to provide more relief in the fall before these trees go dormant. We also uh, have lowered the water levels at which we manage in Biomeda because we have the ability to do that there. So we're, we're flooding at a lower elevation. So, you know, six to 12 inches less water at max pool. The goal in that is to try to regenerate red oaks at those elevations that we think we can be successful at regenerating red oaks. So we got a lot going on at the same time. Meanwhile, we're, we're doing some um, major evaluations of the hydrology of the area and looking toward these long-term infrastructure renovation solutions that'll help water move through the area and accommodate those spring floods. Right. So it's, uh, is Game and Fish coming under a lot of pressure to try to fix the situation as quickly as possible or are people blaming you all for it or what's the situation is there is there a lot of tension surrounding what's been going on well i think it's it's an interesting situation i feel like this is a good case i, I don't want i want to be really really careful not to sound like we're tooting our own horn or or, or patting ourselves on the back too much here so i wouldn't want to do that but I, but i do feel like i mean i, I want to pat duck hunters on the back more because we've we did a a major education campaign when we started really kind of going full force toward making changes in GTRs. And we really feel at this point that the vast majority of hunters have come right alongside with us, which is phenomenal. Like, yes, there are concerns. We, we deal with them. We generally share the same concerns. Uh, we have a lot of folks at Biomeda that are very, very concerned, and they're really concerned about this spring water, the flooding that happens on through June. Some of that turns to criticism when they say, hey, y'all are you know, holding lower water levels in December or or closing the boards later in November. And that's really not dealing with the main issue, which is spring flooding. And we always have to kind of discuss back with those folks that, well, it's both. It's not either or. We have to fix what we can fix now, which is the fall flooding. And the spring issue is just a much larger solution, long-term solution. And so, yeah, generally we're, we're not, given the magnitude of this issue, 
and and the value that hunters put on these areas it's actually relatively quiet because i think people understand our objectives we've clearly stated what our objectives are which is long-term sustainable bottom and hardwood forests and i think once we clarify that and talk to people about how we intend to get there and now we have examples of us doing what we said we would do and getting to those solutions i think folks are, are kind of coming alongside us we're they're there's nobody more impatient than I am to get this stuff done, but there's a lot of, lot of citizens out there that are very interested. They're very impatient as well, and, and I appreciate that they're, that they're so passionate about it. When you say the fall flooding, are you referencing just flooding that's caused by just natural rainfall, or is there something else that comes with that that I'm missing? Is that some kind of controlled flooding that happens unrelated to just natural climate, you know, weather patterns? in the fall or what, what is this fall flooding that you're referencing that are, you're, you're talking extensively about kind of trying to manage it a bit more? It seems like that's something you all have had to focus on because of maybe some, some scrutiny of, of that. Yeah. So this is most of our areas don't have what we call water on demand. A lot of people may, may think we pump GTRs, you know, we can, we can run a pump and fill up a GTR. We, we can't in almost every case. We rely on natural runoff to fill GTRs, but we are in complete control of when we close the boards, the water control structures, when we decide we are going to start holding back water in these areas. That's the fall flooding I'm talking about. Yeah, we have to wait on rain and runoff, but once that happens, when we get into the fall, we have a decision to make of do we leave our infrastructure open, water control structures open, or do we close them and hold that water back? And for many, many, many years, we held that water back as early as October 1st, but definitely by October 15th in almost every case. We have made the decision that we will not do that until the November 15th at the earliest now. So the goal there is if we get a, when we start getting rain in the fall, we know it's the driest time of the year, but say a hurricane blows through, say we get a thunderstorm goes through, over history, we've, we've captured that water. We've held that water back in these GTRs. Now we're not doing that until much later in the fall. With the tree species, the forest oak species that are dying and the red oak species, so these are what the, the ducks feed on, um, they're being replaced with the water, water tolerant tree species. I don't know much about forest management, but is this going to be something that's hard to reverse at this point as well once another species starts really taking over an area like this? Yeah, good question. It can, but we do have tools to help work toward a future that has red oaks where they intend to be. I want lots of these forests should have white oaks like overcup oak and way down low they can have cypress and tupelo, but that they should have a diversity of trees. We're not looking for a monoculture of red oaks. We're looking to restore red oaks where they should be in today's current landscape. So that may be higher elevation than what they would have been 100 years ago just because the hydrology has changed so much we may not be able to restore red oaks as low in the elevation profile as what they would have existed before all of our infrastructure and all the hydrology changes but we can go back in with forest management which we're doing it we did it biometa this year we've gone in there and done some some major uh forest habitat work which is cutting trees to to put it plainly so We've done that to put sunlight on the ground, to regenerate these red oaks at these elevations where we are purposely not holding water now. 
So it is a long-term process, right? It took a long time for folks to identify that a change was happening, and it's going to take a long time for us to change it back. I, I've begun telling people when I talk about this issue that that you know the work we're doing on these GTRs are to regenerate red oaks that I will never hunt over. Like this has very little to do with me and my duck hunting opportunity. It's got something to do with many, at least one generation past me, if not more. Sure. But I, I guess that is the million dollar, literally the million dollar question, because this, this industry is just simply so big. Listeners will hear in another interview that I did in, in Stuttgart about the, I think like uh, the, there's a period of time with, with duck hunting, it's like $60 million, million dollar a day turnover. We're talking a lot of money here. At this point, is it impacting the industry? Do people want to talk about it that much? Are there simply fewer ducks coming to Arkansas now? No. Through all these changes, we've seen seven or eight years in a row now, about the same years we've been doing these changes with GTR management, um, we have set records for state duck stamp sales. So it's really hard to make an argument that there's a drastic change in duck hunter numbers uh, or hunting participation, let's say, because of any changes we're making or because there might be perceptions of fewer ducks coming to Arkansas. We've sold over 100,000 duck stamps at Arkansas seven or eight years in a row now, and I don't think we ever did it before seven or eight years ago. That makes sense. So we are in the current record high for state duck stamp sales. So people are coming to Arkansas are hunting ducks in Arkansas in droves. <laughs> so there is no let off. Participation when these areas flood is extremely high. Arkansas is top three always in duck harvest nationally and number one in mallard harvest by a long shot every year for every year going back in history. And that hasn't changed. So yes, there's, the thing about waterfowl it, it, with, in waterfowl habitat is that it's always been dynamic. That's, I think that's why humans were drawn to it for so many, so many generations, is that it's so fascinating that, you know, you can, is, is this ephemeral resource that you see them migrate away and they're, they're gone, right? They're gone. Like you don't, see, you don't see ducks for six, seven, eight, nine months out of the year. And then they're back all of a sudden. And then the habitat floods and the ducks arrive. And I think that's what's so awesome about it and what draws people to waterfowl the point there being is that it's always been dynamic it's always been changing and so yes of course it's changing because it always has been and i think there's changes going on with with habitat there's changing go changes going on with duck distribution but they aren't these long-term directional shifts that have resulted in a drastic decline in duck harvest or duck hunting participation in Arkansas. So driving, but driving into Stuttgart, I noticed there were uh, a lot of white, white or geese. Yep. Uh, yep. And I heard yep. an- anecdotally that there are people are seeing more geese rather than ducks in the area. I guess there's just some conflicting messages. Uh, it seems like that the, you know the. People are very concerned about this habitat needing to be saved, but it's not necessarily impacting the duck hunting industry, at least for the past 10 years or so. 
Um, but then they're saying that some of the species they're seeing are, are slightly more versus, um, you know, mallards or whatnot that are going elsewhere. So I guess I guess I'm having a hard time getting a clear <laughs> understanding of exactly what's what's going on. <laughs> That's probably because if you sit down and we're able to interview all 100,000 state duck stamp purchasers, you'd have 100,000 different opinions on what's going on. And and we all hunter experiences are local. And all waterfowl management is state, regional, or continental. The scales are never, never have, and never will line up. The scale of management, the scale of observation, will never line up. It's, it's not going to happen because, because every, everything to a, to an individual person is local. What they see locally. What we do as waterfowl managers is, it's frankly global not continent, at least continental for waterfowl management. So we manage at different scales. We measure at like hunter participation and duck harvest at the statewide scale. So someone who may be in, been hunting ducks in the same spot for 80 years and been successful for a long, long time may be experiencing declining hunting success, apparent hunting success. Whereas someone else may have just come onto the scene, come into duck hunting in the last 10 years, 20 years, which a lot of people have, and be hunting 20 different locations in a season and be moving around to make sure that that person is experiencing quality hunting as much, as frequently as possible. Two totally different worldviews each of those people have, right? So they, they have got totally different experiences at the end of the year. So, and then you multiply that by a hundred thousand and that's where you end up with these discrepancies and what people experience personally. And then what we, what we believe to be true from all the long-term data sources that we have available to us to manage waterfowl. That never, I always have to be really careful about that because I would, I'm a duck hunter. I've hunted in a bunch of different places and I would never be so arrogant as like to tell somebody what they're experiencing isn't true. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like somebody, yeah, I'm not doubting that you on your particular hunting lease might be experiencing declining hunting opportunity. But my question back to that person is always, okay, well, what, what has changed around your landscape? What are you doing to make that habitat, that, that little piece of earth as desirable to waterfowl as it can possibly be? What are you doing to be actively attracting, actively managing for waterfowl? And that's, I think, where Arkansas waterfowl hunting has to go moving forward. We have to be much, much more active about providing quality habitat for ducks. This has just been where ducks have always come for generations. As the landscape changes, we have to change with it. We have to be much more active in providing quality habitat for waterfowl. If it's a competition with other regions, other states, however, your neighbor or whatever, however you want to look at it, the impetus is on us to be more active to create quality habitat and to make the Arkansas landscape more attractive to waterfowl. So we don't ex we don't experience long-term changes that, that do end up showing up at our long-term data sources as long-term declines. Well, Luke Naylor, thank you so much. Uh, we hope that you enjoy the rest of your your deer hunting trip up in, in Kansas, and we'll we'll stay on top of this and and hope to talk to you again. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Capital and Scott. 
And in case you missed it, Seth Fields from Tennessee won the world champion duck calling contest on Saturday. We'll be back next week. Thank you.